Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 123, 123 of Good Humans Podcast. And this is a repeat guest, one of the first times that we've done one of these repeat guests, but one of the most popular and incredible conversations I've had was with Nicole Vignola. Back on guest uh, episode number 44, we had a chat. She was the reason why I took 12 months off alcohol. And yeah, it's been incredible watching her journey over the last 12 months. A big thank you, as I do every single episode, to our sponsors, Drink a Rapper. These guys, the brain drink, are taking care of my brain. So many of yours. Me and Nicole actually spoke about it quite a bit through this podcast, which was really interesting to get her take on it. Um, if you want to go learn a bit more about the brain drink, head over to their website, drinkarepper.com. Use the code GOODHUMAN. You get a huge 25% off. You can try all their products. But most importantly, go look at the science. Go check out the studies that basically show that their product is going to have an improvement and a positive effect on your brain. Um, I love this stuff. You're going to love it too. You can check it out in Coles and Woolies too. Look for the little glass bottle with per- that's purple. It's like black currant flavored. It's delicious. You're going to love it. So go check that out. Um, also, if you can do me a big favor, if you enjoyed today's episode, this one is a really informative one. We went really deep into some really positive things we can do for our brain, for, uh, yeah, our own neuroscience. And I got a lot of value out of this. I know some of the information will definitely be valuable to you. So if you enjoy it, do me a favor, please just share it to one friend, let them know about it. Tell them you learned something. That is the best thing we can do for our friends is let them know when we learn something positive and has an impact on our life. So share it with a friend. And as always, if you want to do me a big favor, go hit that like or subscribe button, hit five stars. I'm the sort of person who follows and um, subscribes to so many podcasts and so often I check and I realize I haven't even given them five star. So if you want to do me a favor, go do that. I'd be super appreciative. Okay, so today, Nicole, we caught back up and it's so nice to reconnect with someone after 12 to 18 months of, yeah, not speaking face-to-face. I mean, not face-to-face, but just not speaking over the phone. We connect on social media quite often, but yeah, I was like, we got to get back on and have a chat a little bit about my alcohol free year because of what she taught me, but also a little bit about her, what she's been up to. Her social media has grown from like 10,000 to 400,000 on Instagram over the last 12 months. She's writing a book currently called Rewire, which is just going to be incredible. And she's yeah now getting into keynote speaking, corporate talks. It's just so cool to see what she's doing now. Uh, I'm a huge fan of her work. I'm a huge fan of what her book is going to be. And yeah, I know you guys will love it too. So let's jump straight into the episode. Here we are. Welcome back to Good Humans Podcast, Nicole Vignola. How you going, Nicole? I'm really good. It's been so nice to like keep in touch for a year and essentially you know catch up again. It's uh, great. <laughs> I know it's been so cool watching your growth over the last year. I'm sure you're probably the same with me and just seeing, yeah, what's happened in the last year for you. It's been so cool. So I guess 
to let anyone know who's listening for the first time to you today, we had a chat last year on episode 44 of Good Humans Podcast. One of my favorite episodes. It, it made me do something that changed my life for a year. I stopped drinking alcohol because of our conversation. So wow. Wow. maybe that maybe that's a good spot to start. Let's um rewind. What do you remember of our chat last year and when we talked about alcohol? Because I'm sure you followed my not drinking journey. Yeah, I did. And it was pretty amazing. I mean, I, I gave up uh, when I say I gave up alcohol, I do still drink sometimes, obviously. Um, so I didn't go sort of teetotal for a year. But um, I think there's a huge mindset shift when you realize that you don't necessarily need to succumb to alcohol every weekend to maybe find things to do. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. I'd love to hear your perspective, considering, you know, you went sober for a whole year. Yeah, I mean, it kind of you start to realize that, oh, I can still go do everything the same. I just don't put alcohol in the equation. But it definitely just changed a lot of my, like, relationships, definitely. Like, a lot of my friends who were kind of drinking buddies kind of disappeared a bit, which is all good. But I think for me the biggest thing was – one of the biggest things was just not having hangovers – having hangovers yeah. having hangovers every weekend what um yeah what what does a hangover yeah. do to the brain and how beneficial would have that been for me to take a year off yeah um i mean i i suffer really badly with hangovers and interesting enough i have an ldh mutation meaning that i struggle to break down alcohol so for a long time i thought that i was allergic to alcohol but it's not that i'm allergic to alcohol it's that i don't have enough enzymes that break down alcohol um into acetaldehyde which is the sort of byproduct of alcohol so it stays that's what um sorry, I don't have enough enzymes that break down acetaldehyde. So when you drink alcohol, it then goes into your system, it then gets broken down into acetaldehyde, which is basically what gives you the hangover. You can also get it from like having a candida overgrowth, but it gives that brain fog feeling. And my body doesn't have the enzymes that break down acetaldehyde. So <clears throat> excuse me, it essentially stays in my system a bit longer than your average person. So I suffer really badly with hangovers. Like I could have two drinks and I'll still feel awful the next day. And I think it's definitely exacerbated when I've had stress or, you know, other sort of inflammation in my body. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I definitely think that once you realize how horrible hangovers are, you're kind of like, why do I do this to myself every weekend? So that if you can resonate yeah. with that. Yeah. So what about for me, for having a year off, like what benefits from a neuroscience point of view, would that have on my brain restricting the negative effects of alcohol? Yeah, massively. I mean, firstly, one of the things that happens when we drink alcohol regularly is we get huge dopamine spikes. Um, and that gives you that feeling of, I want another drink. You know, when you're kind of like, I've had two, I should go home, but like, I want another one. You feel really good. Then after a while, you start chasing that feeling. So you probably would have regulated your dopamine quite a lot in that respect. Um, you know, alcohol essentially destroys our neurons as well so we can get neurodegeneration just from one drink per day which is not great um you know yeah and that's a regular drinking as well so you know I think that there's the data points towards the fact that no amount of alcohol is good for the brain of course there's nuances to that because you know people do drink socially and that's fine um but I think definitely bearing in mind how much we're drinking is really, really important and making sure that we're not doing it every single day, because ultimately it is a toxin that you're putting into your body and your body has to then metabolize it. So if it has to metabolize that, it's going to prioritize it, which means that all other things are not going to be prioritized. It's one of the reasons why people put on weight after they've drunk. And it's not because it, or when they're drinking, they might sort of binge eat or lose inhibition and eat junk food. But then also the next day, the body's prioritizing alcohol metabolism. So, you know, it hasn't got time to deal with other 
uh, things that you're putting into your body. And then when you're hungover, you're probably eating junk food as well. So there's a lot of sort of compounding effects there that uh, contribute to deterioration of our systems. Aha. Uh-huh. So a year off doing good things for me. None of those negative things. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you touched on dopamine really quickly. I read something on your social media recently. You've posted a bunch about dopamine, but something that I loved was try not to chase dopamine, but to tra- chase inner peace because dopamine is something that you're going to want to keep chasing and ride that sort yeah. of roller coaster. Can you talk about that a little bit for me? What dopamine is and how it affects us and why maybe we shouldn't be chasing it all the time? Yeah. So, oh God, you know, dopamine probably needs its own podcast. Have you ever had that feeling when you've been on your phone all day and then you just can't come off it in the evening? Like you're lying in oh. bed and you're like, I know I shouldn't be scrolling, right? But you're just your brain won't let you stop. That I've done that so dopamine. much in the last week. It's so bad. It's just like, uh, yeah. I should be doing this, but I'm doing this. But you just can't stop. So that's yeah. Dopamine. So I'm okay. forcing myself to read at the moment. I read at night. I read in the morning. I do not grab my phone first thing in the morning. It's one of the worst things you can do. You're basically ramping up that dopamine early on in the day, which means you're then chasing for the rest of the day. So it's like kind of having a drink in the morning. You're going to want to drink for the rest of the day all day in a, in a way. That's you know an analogy there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strong, but. So what happens no, that makes when, sense. We, when we spike dopamine really quickly and it drops down, we normally need then a little bit more to get us to the same feeling of niceness or goodness, oh. right? And, and for lack of a better term. So then exactly. So then we need more and more and more and more. And it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. We end up down this bigger rabbit hole of chasing this feeling of feeling good. And, you know, um, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot because the the caveat to that is that if we want to mitigate those effects the the trick is to sit with the boredom and I think it's something that we don't and you're going to love this because I know that you talk about sort of gratitude and and meditation and creating that space you were talking about earlier before we started the call but it's sitting with that boredom where you don't have anything to do and I'm a huge advocate for that because how often do you not do anything you've always I, I don't know about you but I've always like looking for the next thing like what can I do work okay tv okay you know um so I think that sitting in that silence with you know the boredom if you will is a really important skill that I think we're starting to lose as a society that's an anecdotal sort of suggestion and 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 observation from my part but I do truly believe that we're losing the ability to just sit with ourselves oh there's a lot of evidence now that shows that right isn't like a average attention span like 13 seconds or something stupid I'm probably butchering it but I know it's time yeah so you're probably not yeah yeah it's like absolutely true so if we limit it earlier it's going to like not want to need it as much I love that that's something that I do I I have um a full potential list which I'm going to talk about with you a little bit later because there's a bunch of things you'll like yeah. on it but one of the things on the list is no phone before 7 a.m no phone after 7 p.m so that's mm-hmm. pretty important yeah I love that I think that that's for me is a non-negotiable as well and the thing is when yeah. I when I compromise on those non-negotiables I really suffer so you know last night I was scrolling I, I mean I texted you at like 11 30 saying can we do an hour later because I just well firstly there was a mosquito that was bothering me so that's why I couldn't <laughs> sleep <laughs> um but yeah it, it definitely impacts me in every areas of life and I think that it then impacts everything that I approach that ha- is anything dopaminergic so like food uh reactivity uh boredom everything kind of becomes compromised because I'm sort of jacking up my dopamine system too often, too soon. And not to mention blue light as well. I don't know if you want to touch on that quickly about how bad that is at nighttime, having that 
affect us for our sleep if you know yeah so that when it comes to the neuroscience yeah what about light at night i've spoken to a few special human performance and sleep specialists and they're yeah big on no blue light yeah so blue light essentially inhibits the production of melatonin which is what helps you go to sleep. So if you're inhibiting that, then your system is going to essentially be uh, shifted. So you, you know, as soon as you put your phone away, it's going to take a few minutes to an hour at least for the melatonin to essentially kick in. So, you know, you're delaying wow. that process. You know, there are very, very few people who can scroll on their phones for ages at night and go to sleep. And I would imagine that's probably because they're exhausted. I am definitely not one of those people. And I know that a lot of people don't sleep well. I get so many questions around sleep. And the first question I always ask when people, I was at a wedding and this guy was like, can I ask you about sleep? <laughs> I was like, okay, not the place, but yes. Um, and the first question I asked was, when do you put your phone away? And he was literally just went, like his whole system just went, oh, okay, yeah. And he knew the answer. As soon as I said that, he was like, yeah, shit, maybe I should put my phone away a little bit sooner because it really does impact uh, dopaminergically yeah. and also, you know, yeah. some melatonin production. So it is a... It's like the yeah. double whammy, yeah. It's um, it's so funny. I love that you said that when he goes, oh, like that, because I've been loving this quote lately and I use it for all my workshops and it says, knowledge is knowing, wisdom is doing. And it's like, yeah. all of us oh, like know, mo most of us know all of these health things. We should get eight hours sleep. We shouldn't be getting blue light at night. We should be eating nutritious food, all these things. But it's like wisdom mm. is doing. Maybe we can talk about that. How do we change our sort of self-belief? So like, let's talk about plasticity of the brain because a lot of people are like, I'm just a lazy person or like, I'm just a this. Mm. Let's talk about the fact that we can change our plasticity of our brain and change those self-belief and change those thoughts. And maybe how can we do that? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. we're kind of jumping everywhere I mean, here, but it's, I'm a no, talking about this stuff. No, it's great. I think for me, it flows anyway, right? You want to hear a conversation yeah. that's not that structured. But yeah, I mean, that's exactly what my book is about at the moment is how we can change all the way from those inner beliefs that have been pre-programmed by essentially our peers and our parents all the way through to the stuff that we tell ourselves. So, you know, there's like a, a parallel in that. And I think a lot of people... I think that really what it comes down to is people need permission in a way. It's almost like they want to hear from a neuroscientist telling them you should put your phone away at nine o'clock. And then they're like, yes, I actually knew that, but that's confirmation. And then, yes, she says I can change. Absolutely, I will. And once and again, knowledge is power. What do you say? Knowledge is power. Wisdom is doing. Um, knowledge is knowing. Is wisdom. Knowledge is knowledge. knowing the information. Wisdom is actually using it and wisdom is doing yeah. it. Well, I think that sometimes people don't know either. They don't realize when they understand the science. So I go into these corporates and I talk about sleep, meditation, the things that we've been talking about for years, you know, nothing drastic, but I attach the neuroscience to it. And they're all like, you can see grown men be like, oh, okay. That makes so much sense. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, I tell you what's great. Uh, I probably, hope, hopefully you're okay with this. One of your little clip that I posted years, last year about gratitude and the effects it has on the brain. I show that yeah. minute clip in every one of my keynotes when I like, I go talk about gratitude and the effects it has on me. And then I'm like, and don't just believe me. I'm just a dumb surfer, but I speak to neuroscientists about this stuff. And I show you a video <laughs> to justify what I talk oh. about. So hopefully that's okay. But um, yeah, absolutely. I feel famous. That's what I mean. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Once you actually hear it from a sort of trusted voice and it's constant exposure to these things and then it's like okay a lot of yeah. like i said knowledge is knowing now anyone listening to this podcast knows these things yeah. and you probably heard it before if you listen to my podcast yeah wisdom is actually doing and and i love that you said oh you didn't go to bed till 11 o'clock the other night like you know as well me too we're not perfect but it's about trying yeah. to have more ticks and crosses on that sort of full potential board that you, we should all have each week 
Yeah, and, and being aware of it, you know, so you're not just passively going through life. Why don't I sleep well? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel awful? Because that impacts your brain health. If your brain health is impacted, your mental health is going to be impacted. You know, I heard this years ago, and I love this. I love this analogy. If your brain health is your hardware and your mental health is your software, how can you expect the software to be working on a piece of machinery that isn't functioning properly, right? So you mm. start compromising on your sleep, you're going to impact the way you make decisions. You impact the way you make decisions, you're going to impact, you know, your food intake, the way that you exercise. It's just whether you're going to meditate or not, because, you know, we're going to this sort of feeling of wanting to cocoon and, I guess, eat more and exercise less because we're tired. But then, you know, it's a it's a snowball effect. Yeah. Nice. I, I love that, that your brain is your hardware and your or the neuroscience is the hardware and the what brain, you say? yeah your brain health is your hardware yeah <laughs> and, and your mental hardware. health is the software yeah, yeah. Software. that makes so much yeah. sense going off that what can we do that's good for our brain health and this is me cheekily bringing a leeway into drink a rapper the, the brain drinker who sponsored this podcast unfortunately you're in the uk right now so i'm going to try and send over some of their capsules for you but i did send over a couple of their studies just to skim over yeah maybe from what what was what interested you maybe in the studies that you saw that was quite curious and then if there's any other products that you can recommend for brain health for our hardware um apart yeah. from we'll talk about modalities obviously meditation all these things that can rewire our yeah, brain yeah. but is there any products that you recommend or any things that you think are important to use um definitely i'm a big advocate for vitamin d magnesium especially bisglycinate or l3 and 8 depending on you know whether you you sleep well or not they both help with sleep l3 and 8 just a little bit more sort of uh detailed towards sleep uh omega-3s 100 um i take omega-3 every single day i take two grams of fish oils and yeah uh, the arepa uh, drink was really interesting because I've been wanting to switch to an L-theanine based drink, actually, because I definitely drink too much coffee. I do everything else right in my life, but coffee is like one of those things where I'm like, I'm going to get them to send you some. They're going to love you. I'm the same. Yeah. 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 I just, you know what? Yeah. I'm an addict. Fine. Whatever. (laughs) Sue me. But Aretha, I really... I I know that L-theanine and caffeine in conjunction have a lot of benefits. There's, you know, been some studies around people that suffer with ADHD. When we supplement L-theanine with caffeine in conjunction, it can actually bring us to a really nice flow state. Um, Of course, you know, these studies need to be reproduced in larger population sizes, but, you know, it's a nice springboard for this to kick off. And what L-theanine does is it essentially blocks L-glutamate receptors, which are excitatory and gives you that kind of feeling of being in a, in a flow so you're you're less jittery if you will mm. lack of a better term and more kind of calm throughout the day which tends to last a little bit longer so um you know and I and I read a little bit of you know you sent me the studies I read on the black current and I think that's really interesting yeah, the polyphenols. Well, how, mm. yeah how they can improve cognitive function now I you know I've got to be honest and I didn't go into that much depth on the studies but at a glance, you know, there were peer-reviewed studies, you know, the population samples were okay, they can definitely be reproduced in larger samples, but it's, it's you know, a great foundation for people to then reproduce these kind of um, studies and, you know, enhancing. What I loved about it is that they were working with rugby players, right, in the study, and these are the kind of people, the athletes, the people that are pushing the boundaries that are probably already got everything else under under wraps. You know, I would imagine that someone who's a professional mm. athlete has got, the, you know, the sleep, the hydration, everything else, it, you know, uh, down to a T, at least to some respect anyway. And then 
adding in something like, you know, an Aripa drink is just going to boost that performance even higher. And that's what I do. I work with people that already have the basics. Well, mm. I work with getting the basics in place, but then that extra sort of 1% that I, I know you, you talk about 1% a lot. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's elevating. So, you know, I, I personally wouldn't, you know, recommend loads of supplements to like somebody who hasn't got the foundations in place because no amount of magnesium, omega-3, Aripa, anything is going to essentially, you know, over you know i'll do the fact that you're not sleeping well yeah, but or when you've got all of these yeah exactly but these sort of things can really really enhance our performance um which i think is great and, and it's nice to see how we can kind of tweak different areas of our life with supplementation um i i do like supplementation i i'm a big sort of advocate mm. for doing this um, but I also want to really encourage people to get the basics in place. But with that being said, sometimes when you buy something like an Aripa drink, you're like, okay, you know what, actually, I'm going to get my life in order. It's, it's a kind of mm. like catalyst to get you on track with things. So yeah. I would love to try some. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to work out how we can get some over too. I want to try and send you, I'll definitely send you the capsules. Like they're easy. They have yeah. like a stronger pine bark extract, which is like endogenol. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just making up words that I read on the label. I've spoken to the neuro. Have you seen many other products like neuroscience products, like from a food or drink product ever, or anything that's been clinically no. studied, even to the size of a reaper? And that's exactly what I wanted to say. Actually, like they've they're conducting their own clinical studies, which um and and their website and oh, no, sorry not their own as well, but they've also got other studies on there. Um, but their um yeah their 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 website was incredible. And I was like this is really great because when you start you know providing people with the information down to a research level with the research paper attached to it, you're like okay this is actually pretty cool. Um you know and even if it's got like again even if it's only improving your life by one to ten percent that's a huge you know jump mm. from everyday life if you, you know, if you need that extra push. What about the flip side? Do you, as a neuroscientist, ever see marketing for products where you're just like, that's bullshit? Like, there's no way. Yes, yeah. yes. I won't mention names, but I have seen a particular company in the UK um, where the clinical studies they sort of put on there are, are very weak. They'll have like a very low end number. And you're kind of like, which is also fine because it's how you market it, right? So you can say, look, these are the clinical studies. They are not huge, but it's a good it's a good incentive to to to, to try mm-hmm. this. But then you know there are other companies that come in and be like, "This is the best thing. It will change your life. It does this. It does yeah. that." They're not even quoting the sort of you know molecules correctly, and I'm going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know? know, so making bold yeah. claims. I think that's it. You know, now what I like mm-hmm. about a reaper is they weren't making like majorly bold claims to this. This is like going to you know improve your life by a thousand percent. You know, they 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 it's it's in my opinion, looks authentic, which is great. Yeah. So. Nah, well, thank you. It's nice to hear your your experience from that. But yeah, I will send you, I'll try and work out how I can get you some drinks over, but it'll be good to um, let you try out the thing. I'll send you some powder as well. They'll be stoked. Well, hopefully I'll um, be in Australia next year for the book tour because I am coming to the US. So, Oh, amazing. Well, that's where we're going to go next in this conversation. I want to talk about basically the last years because obviously this is a different format conversation for Good Humans Podcast, but not taking your life story. But the last 12 months has been crazy for you because if I remember correctly, last year when we first connected, I don't even reckon you had 20,000 followers. I think you were just like just sort of maybe, I think you were, yeah, maybe similar to me, like 20K at the time. And then there was like a few of the TikToks of your clips went super viral, I think, talking about the effects of um, 
what did we talk about? I think the effects of different cocaine. drugs on the brain. Cocaine, cocaine on the brain. That's what it's like. And, and they went viral. Did you see some spikes in following <laughs> after some of those videos? But then tell me about your um, mindset shift because there was a clear shift in your um, content right around that time where things just completely mm. changed. You made it very digestible for people to actually understand. Um, so, yeah, t- talk to me about the last year and social media and how blown away it's been. Give me some stories. You're telling me before 60,000 in a day one night. Yeah, well, one sec. Kobe. Sorry, he's growling. Um, yeah, so when we met, I think I had either 10 or anywhere between 10 and 30 because I remember, like, clearly making a jump from from sort of 2,000 to 10 in the first month. And then I went wow. uh, sort of a so You only just got Instagram when I, when I met you. You'd only just got Instagram. Last year, yeah. So I, I've always used Instagram a little bit and I was kind of like messing around with it. I was making silly videos, kind of like, uh, funny debunks I, I was being a bit of a comedian um and then I jumped from 10 to 30 quite quickly and then I sat at 30 for a few months and then it just blew up like I posted this post on how to self-regulate and I think I, that post alone gained like 285,000 followers um I don't really know how it worked because I must have lost some yeah I it reached 20 million accounts I gained 285,000 followers and I went to bed one night on like maybe I think I was sitting at like 50k or something and I literally said to my partner I was like oh um I, I might I'm at like at this rate I might reach 100k by like end of the month and it was like the beginning of the month and I literally woke up and I had like 120 I was like or 110 or so I was like what wow <laughs> um, I haven't heard... wild yeah what uh what was the post that went super because I looked at it before it's got like 300,000 likes or something what was in the post what do you yeah. think made people like it so much and share it so much well yeah, we we can get into that. I think people just really want to know how to how to deal with stress in the immediate term, but then also in the long term, because I think it's one of the things that people suffer with the most. So it had you know tools on what to do when you're angry, tools on what to do when you're feeling like you've got low self esteem, uh, what you can do when you and it was a one pager, so I think it was quite simple, straight to the point. Left room for a lot of questions because obviously I can't put everything I want to down on a one pager when I'm talking about five different things um so that was another thing I think there was a lot of it, it gained a lot of discussion in the comments uh some negative some positive but it, it left room for me to explain to people then on a deeper level through the comments which then obviously boosted the algorithm and just yeah honestly I went crazy I was so confused <laughs> wow it's uh, so cool I'm going to use this to leave We're going to kind of go in and out of what's gone on for the last year for you. Cause I think that's really cool. It sets this scene of like this crazy growth, but let's talk about that for a bit. Stress. It's obviously something that people are very aware of. It's something that people are very curious about. Firstly, let's talk about like what stress is and um, how we can identify if we're like stressed or if we're just, I guess, I don't know what the other word would be for not that stress, but just like a bit worried. Yeah. But then, and then let's talk about yeah. Yeah, what you were talking about just then, how to self-regulate if we're angry, how to self-regulate if we're sad, how like mm. a couple of those things. Cause I think that'd be, um. and then, yeah, I saw you did uh-huh. some stuff with like short-term and long-term. Let's just talk about stress for a little yeah. bit. Cause I think a lot of people listening, majority would have experienced it today, probably. Yeah. Well, you hit the nail on the head with saying, you know, stress and not that stress may be worried. So that's exactly it. So being anxious and worried is a bit different to being stressed. Now there's an overlap. Stress can trigger worry, worry can trigger stress, but generally speaking, like worry and anxiety doesn't trigger a stress response in biological terms, meaning that your body is now going to release norepinephrine and adrenaline, right? So there's, I think 
there's a lot of studies that show that even just labeling our feelings and emotions correctly gives us a sense of control over them. So it activates the prefrontal cortex, which is one of the areas that switches off when we become stressed and anxious. And the limbic brain, the sort of emotional brain takes over. So we start catastrophizing, being irrational, um, worrying about things that, you know, aren't necessarily something you should be worried about right now. So um, sorry, my dog's coming to hear me talking about stress. He's like, can we come and comfort you? I'm not stressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like a therapy dog. Um, so you know, that clear distinction of saying, you know what, actually, I'm a bit activated. I'm worried. I'm anxious about something, but I'm not stressed because stress has a very distinct physiological form where you're really, you know, your heart rate's increasing. You may be a little bit sweaty. Um, so I think definitely learning how to distinguish between the two can already give you a major sense of control in situations, right? The other thing I would say is that stress, not good, but it serves a purpose, right? So you, we're all going to have a little bit of stress. You're, you're probably a little bit, you know, activated right now listening to this conversation. You need stress to learn. You need stress to go for a surf. You need stress for all kinds of things. So it's learning how to regulate from that stress. So you had an argument with your uh, colleague at work and you then come home and you're still worrying about it, still thinking about it. Your brain is still going to perceive that you're in that stressful situation. But if you give yourself time to let those sort of inflammation and, and uh, stress hormones come down. Yeah, I say inflammation because when we're stressed, our inflammatory biomarkers go up. So it's a really good determination of, uh, sorry, determinant of uh, how stressed we are. We, we can't measure those um, ourselves. You'd have to be in a lab for that. But that's why I'm, I'm saying that just in case anyone's wondering. But basically regulating from that stress response. So you can then think about it with a different mindset. So you know, when you when you stay in that, you you kind of go over it in circles. But have you ever sort of like stepped away from a problem and then come back to it and you've got a clear mind, right? Oh, That's because absolutely. the stress hormones, exactly. That's because stress has subsided and the limbic brain is less active. Now you're switching on the frontal cortex again, or the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is essentially the front part of your brain, which is responsible for more cognitively demanding tasks, logic, uh, problem solving so that kind of gets switched off when we're in heightened states of stress and you would know that you you'll know that you can't think clearly or you're more reactive or your anger takes you to a point where you can't you know see straight mm -hmm. so that's one thing I just wanted to mention is that if we can regulate ourselves from our stress response more regularly so we're teaching our body that yes we can go up we're obviously going to have arguments with our colleagues it's part of life but then we have to learn how to regulate it so we don't sit in that stress and it becomes chronic mm, I love that because I feel like yeah if you can overcome those moments that are difficult and come back like yeah. I often say that the, the definition in my mind of good mental health is your ability to bounce back after hard times and that probably uh -huh. just means your ability to manage stress is like probably very similar correlation to what I'd believe is good mental health. Like yeah. if someone doesn't like get stressed all the time and reacts very quickly, then I call that almost yeah. bad mental health. You can't yeah, regulate your system. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because when we show our brains that actually, look, we just had the stressful encounter, but we can bounce back from that with, with tools, but also psychologically, then it, there's a rewiring process. There's a, a neuroplasticity aspect to that that teaches you that you can bounce back from adversity. 
So then you start becoming more resilient and learning that you can deal with these sorts of things. But, you know, so in terms of immediate tools for stress, you know, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about the physiological side all the time. I've read his paper. It's amazing. Basically, the physiological side is the quickest way to regulate your central nervous system back down to a parasympathetic state. So have you done it? Have you heard of it? Nah, tell me. Let's go. Tell everyone about it. Okay. Okay. So basically, have you ever been stressed and you start sighing, like huffing and puffing? That's your brain trying to regulate your nervous system back down. So it's an ingrained system in your sort of brainstem that regulates this response. So um, you can fast track that by actually sort of forcing the physiological side. So it goes like this, double inhale. And a long exhale. I know my dog's worried about me. Fine. Um, so double inhale with a long exhale. That double inhale with a little pause at the top, basically that's essentially opening the alveoli, which collapse when we're stressed uh, and when we breathe shallow. <laughs> my dog's like, what are you doing? Oh, um, hanging out. Yeah, yeah. Um, he like he's so good at knowing when I'm stressed. You're coming like kind of um anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, I'm just showing somebody the physiological side. But yeah, <laughs> so that kind of pops the alveoli open and helps you um dump carbon dioxide from your system, which is then signaling okay. to your brain and body that you no longer need to be in a state of stress where your breathing is shallow and where you need to run. You don't need to run, right? Okay. So you're so that's telling just too... your brain. Yeah. Yeah, double inhale with a long exhale. Because when you're in a state of stress, you can't reason with yourself. Your brain is designed to run, not listen. So you can't be like, no, this is fine. Like, you know, there's there's obviously a time and place for that. But if your stress hormones are really high, then we need to, the body needs to tell the brain that you're no longer in a stressful state. And that's how you do it. So the physiology is communicating that you are no longer being chased by a lion or your colleague. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's one way. There's a couple ways you posted something about it. Yeah, and then, so the other thing that I always recommend is going for a walk. Basically, mm. when we're walking, basically our eyes move from side to side. And that movement essentially recruits the frontal parts of your brain, which then compete for resources with the amygdala. So your amygdala is your fear processing center. So it tells you that you're in danger. If that is deactivated and switched off, it means that you can think about your day, your problems with a more clear mind, with a more logical mind state, less fear processing attached to that. Now, that is the concept around EMDR therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard of EMDR therapy, but it's used in um, sort of people that are trying to uh, uh, work on trauma. And what the therapist will do is have like goal-directed eye movements whilst processing the emotions. And that goal-directed eye movement essentially, again, switches off the amygdala, which then allows somebody to recall their problems without that kind of like feeling of we're in fear we're in danger because that feeling that amygdala essentially communicates with the rest of the body that now stress needs to um you know flood the body uh -huh. you need to run no i love that really so go for a walk take a few sighs great yeah. short term let's talk real quick and then there's one more oh there's one more. okay yeah, no 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 you got well, one more the, this one's thought redirect of... hobbies <laughs> i'm reading yeah off. yes yeah, so that that's kind of like immediate, but also long term. So, you know, when we step away from the problem for an extended period of time, we're allowing our stress hormones to go down. So it means you're thinking about something else completely different. So if you went for a surf, you can't really think about your problems. You need to think about paddling, you need to think about duck diving, mm. 
then getting up on your board in um you know I'm not I don't I don't surf often enough for me to be able to probably think about my problems while I'm surfing because I'm just concentrating on not dying but um you're engrossed in something else which means that it takes your mind off the problem so when you come back to it you can think about it with a more logical mind state again yeah and that, that means that you can then redirect the thoughts so um you know you can think about things more logically like was I over exaggerating what's the solution instead of catastrophizing and going down this rabbit hole of you know despair which we've all been down <laughs> yeah let's before we go to the long term um things for stress sleep uh meditation exercise which we can go kind of deep into those ones because I think they're obviously important topics but a lot of this I think comes back to something else that you've spoken about recently on your social media and that we spoke about off air before this. And you said you wanted to talk about this. And this is something that I love talking about this idea of responding to situations, responding to stimuli rather than reacting to it. And it's such a subtle change in word, but it can mean such a difference in our response to a situation. So yeah. Do you want to talk about how we can create a space so that we can respond rather than react in the best way to get there? Yeah. So, you know, the brain works by association. So you've made an association with a particular thing. So your immediate go-to is to react in a particular way, to, you know, towards one thing or many things. Um, obviously, you know, unresolved stress is also going to play a key part in that. But when we sort of start paying attention to that gap between the, the, the trigger and the response, over time, we can we can widen that space and make it bigger. And I loved, you know, before we started talking, you you can definitely talk more into this, is when we meditate, we're essentially slowing down our, our brains in a way. We're creating that space in our in our life. And that's this is metaphorical because <laughs> I'm oh, talking about like, kind of like creating a space in the ether. But, but it's like creating you know, a and, detachment and, from our thoughts, recognizing that they are just this thing floating around up there. They aren't real. They're just thoughts. And I feel like, yeah. Once we can detach from like when a thought comes up and it go actually questioning it, going like, wait, why am I thinking that? What am I thinking? Oh, far out. That's stupid to yeah. be angry over this. Like, yeah. 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 I've been using your far out um, expression, by the way, since we, since our last conversation, I'm like far out. <laughs> I love it. You can have it. You can have but, it. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but um, where was I at? Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and I, I mentioned earlier, like just naming our emotions and our feelings gives us a sense of control over them. So we're recruiting the frontal cortex again so that you can say, okay, I'm feeling this particular way, but it doesn't need to feel like I'm out of control. You can kind of honor those emotions, observe them because they're there to tell us something, right? We can't definitely don't push them away. Don't pretend yeah. that they don't exist, but kind of observing them from an outsider's perspective to some extent. And, mm. you know, once you you gain the, the knowledge on how to do that, and there's not that much to it, except for what I've just said, it's, it's about practicing by sort of severing the way that those neurons communicate so you mm -hmm. used to you know being presented with a problem and then you're used to reacting instead of taking a time to pause but over time you can sever those co sort of co-firing neurons that say react to the situation mm. and actually create a space where you go I'm going to take a pause literally a pause and wait and re respond so yeah my partner walked in yeah sorry you go I was just going to say, I think a lot of that comes back to self-reflection, reflecting after you've respond, reacted to something and going, wow, did I really like the way that I that I show, showed up in that situation? Yeah. Yes or no. Whereas I feel like not enough people are, that you'll like this quote, being conscious of their choices and taking responsibility for their actions. 
it's such a yeah. it's from this book the peaceful warrior and i love it because you t- alluded to it earlier in the podcast where you said like so many people aren't conscious of the choices they're making it's like how do we yeah. start to go okay i reacted that badly i don't really like when i show up that way how am i going to show up differently yeah. if that happens again and then if something similar happens that little trigger of oh yeah i've actually thought about that i didn't like the way i reacted last time that my girlfriend mm. said this to me okay, I'm going to show up a bit differently. And I think that can help create a bit of space too. Is there any science behind that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I was going to say. You alluded to the fact that basically planning how we're going to behave in a particular situation can also help us because mm-hmm. when you're presented with a problem and you're used to acting out in a particular way, it's very hard for you to make decisions in that moment. You basically operating on automaticity, which means that you're operating the way that you've always operated. But when you start saying, okay, actually, I'm going to self-reflect. This is how I did it. This is how I'd like to do it the next time. It means that the next time you're more likely to take a pause and think about the alternative Mm. response. So practicing these, I call them preparing for setbacks. So practicing how a situation went, how you would like it to go. And you can use that for everything. So like, you know, with goal setting, with um, visualizing how, you know, you want to execute your goals or visualizing how you're going to behave in a particular situation and also taking into consideration that you might do it differently or that, you know, you might, um, mm. yeah, just practicing, I think is a good, is a good tool there because you're already sort of integrating that pattern in the brain, which you then have to execute. Like you can't, you know, you can't override habits and behaviors with just mental imagery. You have to actually then execute as well for that to be a solidified pattern in the brain, but it's a good start. Yeah, no, I love talking about that stuff. It's it's so fascinating, like learning to it's I think it's just maturity, to be honest. It's when you start yeah, yeah. being conscious of your choices. Let's quickly go across now for long term things for stress and why sleep, meditation and exercise can help us. It's like, oh, it's obviously I'm not sleeping in the moment that I'm stressful, but it's like, how do they impact our overall stress? Because sometimes it, it sounds very easy the way we're talking about oh, instead of respond to a situation, react. But when we're stressed, when our cortisol high, we're not thinking clearly. Doesn't our mm. IQ drop, Matt? Doesn't our like IQ drop massively when we're stressed? And all these things happen when we're stressed. So that's why we are reacting. So it's like, all right, how do we yeah. prepare for the stress best? And you've got three great tips for long-term tools. So yeah, do you want to talk about mm. yeah, why sleep, meditation, self-hypnosis and exercise uh, have an impact yeah. on our lo- on our stress long-term? Yeah. Well, sleep, you know, it impairs our decision making when it's compromised, because when we're tired, our brain is going to try and save as much energy for more cognitively demanding tasks. So for your conscious thoughts. So anything that's subconscious, any behavior, any habit that's integrated is going to happen automatically without the brain really thinking about it, especially when you're tired, because why would it worry about changing habits and behaviors when it's just trying to keep you alive for the day? <laughs> you haven't yeah, yeah. Anything, right. So it's kind of like an energy system that it's there's enough energy allocated to one uh, area of your life. If, if it's sort of been taken away by not sleeping properly, then it, that's going to be impacted. I hope that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. sleep, you know, so many things. And, uh, you know, people are going to probably eye roll when I say this, but like Dr. What's his name? Walker? can't remember his first name but he wrote why we sleep and it's an amazing book it's really honestly one of the most amazing books about sleep and you know uh, off the back of that there's a couple of studies that have also been conducted to show that when we don't sleep well you know our psychomotor activities impaired so our reaction time we see that in athletes our ability to make decisions 
our inflammation goes up. So now your, you know, your system is being compromised. Um, you know, our immune system is uh, compromised as well. So now we, you know, more susceptible to illness and infections, etc. And one of the interesting things that happen when we go into deep sleep is we have this glymphatic system. It's kind of like a toxin removal system of the brain that eliminates buildup, like protein buildup and, and, and other toxins in the brain. So when we're not sleeping correctly, that system is compromised as well, which means that then, you know, our thinking abilities, brain fog, just, you know, that irritability that is essentially still present, yeah. if you will, in the brain. So, you know, in, in hormone production, you know, growth hormone is released when we deep sleep and testosterone when we REM sleep. So if you're sleeping six hours versus eight, you're compromising on how much testosterone you're releasing on a daily basis. And, you know, for, you know, men and women, but especially people who are working at a high performance, like maybe they exercise, maybe they're athletes, maybe they're working, you know, as like, I don't know, stock traders that require them to make impulse decisions on the spot that are obviously, you know, uh, grounded in some sort of uh, logic in their mind. But for me, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But that requires us to have every sort of cylinder working at, at its best, right? So making sure that we're getting enough good sleep, length of sleep, but also deep sleep mm. is really, really important in making sure that we can cognitively and physically um, you know, function. Optimally. And that's I think, and I think coming back just to that quote of being conscious of your choices is so important because there's so many things that affect our sleep whether it be getting off your phone, like we talked about earlier in the conversation, whether it be trying to not have um, light, blue light, especially in your eyes after dark, making sure you get some exercise so you can sleep. Like there's all yeah. these different things that are important. So I think that comes back to just most of the things that we do each day are going to affect our sleep, are going to affect our well-being, and just actually being, okay, yeah. every day we're just making choices all day. It's like, okay, the more conscious yeah. we are of them, it's massive. Yeah. And I'm actually, that's what I'm studying at the moment. My research is looking at how we make decisions and especially how we make decisions. So we call it vigilance decrement. So throughout the day, you're, uh, you've got a lot of focus and attention, but then throughout the day, those, uh, that vigilance, that ability to stay sort of focused, uh, the attentional networks start going down and down and down and down uh, because sorry yeah no i didn't say anything i was gonna say is that why a lot of high achievers all wear the exact same clothes because it's less decisions to make in the morning yeah to some to some extent yes exactly and my research is looking at how we make decisions pre and post meditation sorry post meditation and post social media so how we make decisions versus after doing something like a meditation, which is essentially reallocating cognitive resources to the brain um, and social media takes that energy away from the brain. So how do we make decisions impacted? Uh, so, oh my God, it's so early. I need another coffee. How do we make decisions based on these two modalities? I haven't, I haven't analyzed the data yet. I'm at that point now, but when oh. I have an answer. I like I can't know, yeah, yeah. As soon as you get that study comes out, let's um, do a little another catch up. Cause that sounds fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Like you said, yeah. sometimes people need to hear it from a neuroscientist and actually hear a study. Uh, that's why I love reading self-development books, just like reading all these different studies yeah. and research and different people who have theories and experts in fields. Like, I think you're doing yourself such a disservice if you're not curious about ways to improve all aspects yeah. of your health. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, uh, knowledge kind of gets us out of our own heads as well. You know, so many people, you know, and I, this is going to sound a bit harsh, but they come through with problems and I'm a bit like, it's almost like they don't have direction in life. And I'm like, if you don't have direction in your career and in your own life, just get curious, start reading, start learning, because then you start getting out of your own head 
and you start realizing there's so much more to be known in the world than mm. sitting with your thoughts and worrying about them because that rumination is is a snowball effect the more you do it the more you're solidifying those neurons and those networks that communicate with one another to ruminate so yeah it's yeah it's so, I see so many people that are just so stuck in their ways and complain about the same thing and just mm. and think and think they know everything I think that's the worst thing when people just aren't willing to have their mind changed it's just like oh it's the most yeah unfortunate trait to see people stuck in yeah uh, I agree I read um extreme ownership by oh Jocko Willink it's good isn't it yeah and I didn't read the whole thing so I kind of I got the gist it was a bit repetitive for me but I love that like taking ownership in everything that you do you know what part do I play in it what you know how can I change this because I think yeah it's easy to point fingers and you know blame other people but really like we are in an unprecedented time where we have knowledge at the tip of our fingertips at the tip of our fingertips at the tip of our yeah you know what yeah, I'm trying to say. Um, so, you know, go and go and learn, delve mm. into it. I always say like, it's good to grow through life, not go through life. It's like, if we just go through life, yeah. it's like your happiness just gets sort of stagnated. It's like, all right, how can we continue to learn, continue to find new things and like expand? Yeah. Well, actually, let me just, I just wrote a, a snippet in my book and I just want to, so if you Google the meaning, so you go life meaning as a dictionary entry, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just loading. It says the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, reproduction, functional activity and continual change preceding death. OK, so within that dictionary meeting, it says that there is continual change towards death. So why do we stagnate? You know, the mm. dictionary meaning says that we have capacity for growth. And I think somewhere along the way we 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 forget that maybe I don't know I'm not I'm not old enough to be at the point where I maybe have forgotten that but we can change at any age and that's what blows my mind is that you know continual for growth there's so much to know I'm almost like there's not enough lifetimes for me to know all the things I want to know when I start mm. reading papers you told me about uh, you know black currents now I'm like oh my god I need to go into black currents and then someone <laughs> talks to me about something else and I'm like oh my god I need to go into that and this is I don't have enough time to know all the things that I want to know so you know uh, it's exciting I'm a, I'm excited by that that there's like so much more yeah. to learn I am uh, I'm conscious yeah. of your time but I've got a few little things I want to talk about your book but we're going to finish on that just before we get off stress because we've gone through all of it and I think it's important to touch on this because this is such an overarching um, theme in mental health exercise it's something that fascinates me I don't know if you've seen it there was a, a study out of the University of South Australia down here that said something about I'm going to butcher it but just that basically exercise is more effective than therapy and SSRIs for our mental health and for depression. Yeah. Can you talk about what exercise is doing neurologically and then yeah, the impact it has on stress and our brain and yeah, our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to put these dogs out because they are playing and That's they're okay. very loud. No. <laughs> Sorry. I haven't heard them at all, but yeah, all good. So, um, you know, in terms exercise. of like comparing yeah. it to an SSRI, I, I, I can't, I can't conclude that remark without reading the study, yeah, yeah. but you know, we, on a spectrum, I would imagine if you have like depressive symptoms, uh, definitely hundred percent exercise. And I know that exercise in conjunction to people on SSRIs have huge benefits. Uh, of course, if anyone's sort of thinking about coming off them, talk to your physician and look into it. But yeah. I mean, exercise, it's, it's so fundamental yet we've created such a stigma around it one of the things that I think people struggle with the most is the fear around exercise and I do believe that the fitness industry is changing but I think about 10 maybe even longer 10 years ago um 
you know, especially like the whole fitness influencers theme on Instagram, it's kind of like put people off, right? It's scary to see women and men in such amazing physiques and then say that you need to exercise when you don't look like that. And you're like, okay, shit, how do I even begin? And then a lot <laughs> of the majority of people don't look like that. And yeah, then a lot of the fitness the people thing. edit their shit anyway. It's like, oh. Yeah, I know. I saw this um thing that Samson's bringing out is you can change the face the expression on a picture that you just taken. So your kids pulling like a stupid face, you can edit that to make them smile. And I'm like, what's the point? Anyway, that's the topic for another day. But so exercise, so many great benefits. And I, I will try and keep it succinct. But basically, our brain matter, our gray matter, and our, our brain is essentially, it's modifiable through exercise. So we can create neuroplasticity, increase synaptogenesis. So just to backtrack a little bit, we can't create new neurons in the brain. There's speculation that we can do that in some areas of the brain, but it's still very um, new and a bit sort of taboo to talk about at the moment. But we create new synapses. So we create new connections and synaptogenesis is essentially the creation of these synapses so we can improve connectivity throughout the brain so that um, we can essentially live longer, fuller lives with you know more uh, cognitive integrity. So they've done studies where they look at individuals who maintain physical activity, physical activity throughout old age. And the ones, so it's a bit depressing, but they basically uh, looked into the post-mortem brain. So they basically sliced their brains after death. And the ones who were more active had more presynaptic proteins in the synapses, meaning that they had more connections, more cognitive integrity versus the ones that didn't. So that for me is wild because when we have neurodegenerative diseases, not all, but you know, they impact uh, how we degenerate neurons in the brain and exercise can help keep those neurons alive for one, and it can help create new synapses. So that is wild, right? Yeah. Wow. And you know, it's one of the biggest contributors to, or lack of contributors, if you will, to neurodegeneration. So one of the biggest mitigating effects to neurodegeneration is regular exercise. So, um, you know, you can break that down into resistance training, you can break that into aerobic training, but my suggestion would be to do zone two aerobic training, which is pretty easy to achieve. You can get that by just walking. So nobody needs to go and kill themselves on a treadmill for hours and hours and hours a day. But, you know, 150 to 180 up to 200, I think the studies show up to 200, obviously more is not worse, but um, of zone two aerobic training which you can achieve by walking your dog by walking to work instead of driving I don't know if you have the ability to do that in Australia but cycling so all of these you know Mm. activities that we can do on a daily basis by just sort of being more active and then resistance training so resistance training is really interesting because when we contract and relax our muscles we have a skeletal muscle brain connection so you know you have like a gut brain connection you've also got a skeletal muscle connection so the muscles are directly communicating with the brain and when we contract and relax those muscles we essentially release muscle-based proteins called myokines and they have different effects on the brain but these myokines can help increase plasticity they can help with cognitive function like you know uh, just to name a few irisin for example is an anxiolytic property that is released from the muscle so it has anxiolytic effects on the brain so we're quite literally almost taking like an anxiolytic um you know similar to, not similar I, mean, I can't i can't this is like just a metaphor i'm trying to explain is you know anxiolytics are like diazepam so um benzodiazepines you know we can we can have those anxiolytic effects from exercise as well 
Uh We've got endorphin release. So endorphins and endocannabinoids are released when we exercise as well. And they are um, analgesic, meaning that they bind to the opioid receptors in our body. So you get that feeling of euphoria, pain relief. So if you're going through a heartache, heartbreak, and I don't know, physical and mental anguish in your life, okay, maybe physical might be different to exercise. uh, That analgesic effect from exercise is going to help numb the pain. It's one of the reasons why exercise is so good for someone that's going through, you know, a really hard time, like a hard, you know, like a breakup, for example. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about that. You know, quickly. Let's talk about grief. Yeah. <laughs> and give us a good yeah, leeway. Cause I, I think that's something that yeah most people will go through in their life and gives a good leeway into, yeah, from what we we're just talking about, how we can deal with grief a little bit better. Yeah, I, mean, I just did a post <laughs> with Dr. Sula, yeah, the, the health psychologist who's, uh, you know, on my Instagram, I did a post with her because she's a clinical psychologist. That's and I was felt like, yeah. yeah, she's great. And, you know, because I always want to talk about grief, but it's one of those things that it requires a very gentle touch um, mm. that I feel like I, you know, ethically, I potentially lack because I'm not clinically trained I'm not you know Mm. uh, trauma informed I'm a neuroscientist I I talk about hard science so it was great for me to collaborate with her on this because she can bring that aspect of she works with patients all the time especially with Mm. grief so you know there's there's a couple of things that happen when we go through grief and grief doesn't have to just be the death of somebody right it could be grieving a a life you should have had a dream that didn't come true or you know, breakup mm. potentially. Uh, there's so many, uh, you know, areas of grief, and it's one of the biggest chapters in my book. Um, but one of the things that happens is we parts of our brain that re- recall memories, they become more active in our brain. So now we start sort of trying to find alternative solutions to the problems because it's an attempt to gain control of the situation. So how could things have gone differently so that that didn't happen? Um, it's, you know, that bargaining feeling, especially mm. when you've lost someone. But it's it's amplified because we, the brain wants to come up with a solution that would fit the narrative you've currently got to give you peace. So I don't think that grief ever really leaves us. Uh, maybe when it comes to dreams and ex- exes, it definitely does. For me, it has anyway. But, you know, people and maybe like you know, what could have been in your life, um, we kind of grow around it. So we, our experiences grow around that grief. We start Mm. to rewire our brains to integrate that as part of our lives. We create a new narrative around that grief. Now, this is something I wanted to talk about on that person. I completely forgot, but one of the interesting things, and I'm not a pharmacologist, so anyone that's, you know, listening to this and is a pharmacologist and wants to put their two cents in, I'd love to hear it in the comments, but when we die, we actually release DMT from the brain. I've so DMT is a psychedelic, essentially. So I, I've, I've never tried DMT, um, but it, apparently it makes you feel like you're in it forever, but it lasts like 10 to 20 minutes. Um, so, and it's like one of the most wonderful euphoric experiences that gives you a meaning to life, but you essentially like unlock the gates to heaven from what I've heard anyway. And that gives me a lot of consolation because, you know, anyone that's, died knowing that you know there was kind of like a happiness to their ending in a way in their heads anyway gives me a sense of relief in a way so I thought that was quite interesting uh and I'm not an expert in this and I can't you know go much much deeper than that that's kind of like as as much as I can give you but I thought that was really great yeah that is fascinating it is something nice to hang on to when someone passes away knowing from a neuroscience point of view that this chemical is released in our brain that does give you this euphoric and never ending euphoric feeling you know what I mean it's like oh 
forever yeah. hopefully like that which I, that is nice I yeah. the yeah. yeah yeah I think it's so interesting the last thing I want to talk to you is about your book yeah um yeah re- rewire you've, you've alluded to it a lot throughout this chat different chapters do you want to maybe just give us a bit of a rundown why you decided to write a book what it's going to be about and then yeah maybe just run us through a couple of key chapters that you think people are going to learn something from in it because I'm sure you're deep in writing yeah. it right now I mean, so so much of what we've spoken about is in the book already, but it's all about how, you know, empowering people with this perception that they can change at any age. You can change habits, behaviors. The book is shaped around the narratives, the, the self-limiting beliefs that we tell ourselves and how they then impact our entire life. So the way that you carry yourself, the, the things you attract, the dreams you go after, because of these sort of that inner chatter, that, that voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough. It's all about how to overcome that. You can essentially create better habits for your life and change your behaviors to get everything you want in a way. So um, it, it's it, there's a lot of neuroscience in there, obviously, um, which, you know, my editors kind of like to help sort of wanting me to dilute it a lot. And I'm like, okay, we need to find a middle ground here. <laughs> but um, oh God, there's so much. It's so much. Well, it's I think all, that, know, I, the power I, of belief. The... I just know yeah. that reading your social media and stuff, you're going to make it digestible because it's like, as much as you want to jam pack the neuroscience in it, it's like learning how to communicate that in a way that people can actually understand is like such a fine art, yeah. which I think you're doing great. Thank you. And I think, and I, and I agree. I think that I, I give a lot of examples on like, how does this apply to your life? How can you do it? It's a bit of a workbook. So you, you, you have questions to ask yourself and um, it's got, you know, a lot on the power of beliefs, the, the thoughts and the science behind that and how, you know, our body language is then changed because of the beliefs that we carry about ourselves and how to essentially reprogram our minds to be whoever we want to be to up to a certain extent, obviously. So, uh, you know, there's a lot on gratitude as well. I know something you talk about all the time. And the other day I was having a, a bit of a bad day and I remember your video. I love that video so much. I've showed so many people where you're talking about when you were in Japan. I am, and I the, the man you met was sort of saying that you know it, sort of westerners uh go and do retail therapy but they do something nice for other people and I I ended up doing that and I felt amazing which is something I do quite often anyway but I I remember that and I remember that every well, time so I love that well, uh, thank you isn't that funny like so and so much even from the when we spoke last year we spoke about the effects of kindness and gratitude on the brain and it's and this is exactly I can always quote you word for word what you say when I asked you that question. But you said when we're kind to others, not only does it feel good for them, but it feels good for us as well. And I wish people knew that Absolutely. science a little bit more. But then there's another phenomenon that I wanted to talk to you about. For uh, statistically looking it up online, I don't know how relevant the studies are, but it says about seventy percent of us, when somebody offers us a gift or a compliment, respond in "Oh, I don't deserve that." Why does that happen? And how do we overcome Yeah, that? and again, those are those self-limiting beliefs, right? So it's a real mm. skill to be able to take on a compliment and not – So I do this. Someone will compliment me and I'm like, thank you, and you're doing amazing too. And it's like I should just – I should be able to just sit in that and be like, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, mm. But obviously, you know, it's also nice to compliment other people, but sometimes I find myself trying to find something to say just so that I can also give a compliment. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think society, I think, you know – peers from our childhood all play a big part in that and my whole book is about how to break free from those self-limiting beliefs and say you know what yeah I am worthy of this and I deserve this because you know and I just wanted to backtrack on kindness it's a it's a positive feedback loop right so you you you're kind to someone someone's kind to you back you feel good they feel good everyone feels good 
But mm. the human brain has a tendency to want to focus on the negative. Yeah, it's the way we're wired. So most of our emotions are more negative than positive. It's a survival mechanism. It's probably due to evolution. So, yeah, yeah. but acknowledging that, because being kind and maybe finding gratitude and compassion can be harder. But once you make that sort of leap into, sorry, I've got a mosquito. Once you take that leap and you go into that realm of using that as a tool, um it's it's a positive feedback loop so it's self-reinforcing mm. no i love that it's, it's so good i just have a memory because i show that video of you saying very similar words and what you were saying just said like i've probably shown it like 150 times so it just plays <laughs> in my head I was, I was just laughing but no i think kindness is just so yeah that thing that i wish it got more understood and i wish we could yeah work out how to get more people practicing it but It'll um it'll come hopefully yeah. from your from your book and I think just the science behind yeah. it is such a good one like there's so many great studies that show you kinder people are happier people based on a lot of great data studies so it's like okay how do we start to actually integrate that into humankind a bit more yeah absolutely because I think it, in a lot of ways it quietens down the ego right the ego wants to react the ego wants to compare it wants to be jealous it wants to pull all the bad things out of other people to make itself feel better but when we switch that off when we quieten down the ego I think we start living a life that's more fulfilling because mm. we're more confident in ourselves we don't have this need to compare and you know comparison is normal but it's it's about checking yourself right so sometimes I'll do that on Instagram and I'm like you're doing amazing what are you doing just shut it yeah. <laughs> stop yeah. being mad you know yeah and I think it's really really important that we just check ourselves on a regular basis but yeah yeah, I think that self-reflection is so massive. It's like so many of us just aren't doing that enough because we're so scared of what's going to come up if we actually sit with those thoughts. And like you said, so many of our thoughts are negative. I just want to quickly touch on that. I read somewhere that it's like we have around 60,000 thoughts a day and about 70% of them are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. So I say to people, I'm like, imagine if you could change like mathematically on that, what, 45,000 negative thoughts a day in yeah. two weeks we have over a million negative thoughts i'm like if we can start to change our thoughts by five ten twenty percent we're having millions of less negative thoughts a week a mm. fortnight so as much as it feels like it's like pointless work by reframing our mind and changing our self-limiting beliefs mm. like when you think about it like that like i'd, I'd say yeah. to people like if you're having a million negative thoughts a week mathematically imagine if we could change that by 10 percent over the span of a year that's like hundreds of millions of less yeah. negative thoughts how much better is life going to mm. be I know I did a podcast with um Lewis Pratt he's great I think you'd love him actually you should do a podcast with him but he was saying he was like if if you like play the guitar for five minutes every single day how good would you be in a year and then consider this how how long do you spend scrolling on Instagram per day how good and how deep of a habit and integrated is that going to be in a year's time you know, it's going to be harder for you to pull away from your phone when you've been doing it for like two hours a day, every day for two years or a year, you know, it's a wild. In terms of the thoughts, yeah, wild. Um, I think the 60,000 was debunked. It's more around 6,000, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we have a lot of thoughts um, that um, are repetitive and negative. And it's true, they were mostly negative and they were mostly repetitive. Um, but in terms of the actual data, I think the 60,000 was an estimation. And now they've actually oh. been able to look at that. And it's around more like 6,000 between, depending on how how long you sleep, it's assuming people sleep eight hours. So yeah, you sleep yeah. five or six, it's going to be a lot more thoughts than that. So, 
which is still wild, you know, 6,000 thoughts a day that are negative, you know, obviously not all of them are going to be negative, but yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's just wild, isn't it? Like when you start doing the math, it's like over a year, two years, you're still going to be getting up close to some mega numbers of negative thoughts. Like you can start to reshift that, which I find meditation is like one of the best ways to like witness yeah. them from the outside and go, Oh, that thought isn't yeah. true. I wouldn't speak to my best friend the same way I speak to myself in my own head and starting to like, yeah, question yeah. Well, I'm actually using that as a little project at the moment because I have two family members in, in my family, obviously family members, so I won't mention who. They have a habit of talking badly about each other and kind of like pointing out all the negatives about them. And I've gone to the point where I just shut that conversation down because I don't want that to be like um, reinforced anymore. And I could see over time how that's slowly being severed, their own thought process around the other family member is being slowed down and, and 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 severed in a way so that they can start seeing the positive sides. I'm almost like acting as a mediator to show that they're on they're that bad. And mm. I can see it in their behavior, how they're changing just by shifting from just shutting those thoughts, those those conversations down at the beginning. Mm, yeah, yeah, I do that. My I do that whenever anyone I feel like around me is trying to like gossip or talk negatively about someone, I'll either just shut it down and go, I don't like talking about that sort of stuff about people. Or I'll yeah. start to quest. I'll start to question them why, or bring an alternative perspective. Like, be on the yeah. side of the person that's getting talked down on, but just be like, oh, but maybe I wonder why they're being like that. I wonder what they're going through. Yeah, act like that, and then it like starts. I love making people shift their perspective. I think it's yeah. the most beautiful thing. I love that, and I'm going through that in my comments. And I mean, most of the time I don't respond, but sometimes I'd be like, well, what about this? What about that? And then I've gone into the point where people either <laughs> delete their comments or say sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, I just yeah. love when people can be mature when you, someone calls you out and you go, oh, yeah, actually. And yeah. I love when somebody does it to me and I go, actually, you know what? You're right. Yeah. And taking it yeah. and going, instead of fighting back against mm. it, like what's, what's, what's the yeah. truth in what they're saying? What's the truth in what they're saying? It's like just have it plain in yeah. your head whenever you get criti- criticized. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's a big it's a big challenge, I think. It's a good one, though. And I have the same, you know, someone commented something on my Instagram the other day. And I don't, again, I don't normally respond, but this day I was like, that's it. I'm replying. And I, it wasn't mean, but it was quite sarcastic. And they replied being like, I actually meant something completely different. But, you know, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Isn't it and funny? We like, like get fine. hundreds, hundreds of positive comments and you get one negative one and you try and like change that person's mind. It's like, you're never going to please back everyone. To the, you know, the, uh, you know, focusing on the negative. That's Negativity the bias. Right back yeah, to that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. One last question I wanted to chat to you about real quickly because um I know it's morning for you. It's night for me. But um, ice baths. I've seen you did did a little post about cold showers and ice baths. Something that I uh, I've been, if I'm going to be completely honest, I haven't done an ice bath or a cold shower in quite some time. So I'm a bit of a suck out for it right now. But I have done many of them over the years. I have done. I've actually done ice baths with Wim Hof, which was pretty cool. At um at a van yeah. I spoke oh, wow. at in Sydney a few months um ago. It's really cool. But yeah, talk me to me about some of the new science and some of the stuff that you've learned recently about what's happening in our brain when we're having cold showers or cold exposure. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, so you know, all the way through to dopamine. So cold showers or cold cold exposure has the ability to increase our dopamine substantially. But one of the best things about it is that it doesn't then drop off in the same way that it would if you had to go on social media. So the the underlying theme with dopamine release is that there needs to be effort for the reward. So 
um, you know, cooking instead of ordering, uh, you know, goal setting instead of scrolling, because scrolling is too easy. That's the problem. So ice baths is like you have to work for that, right? So you've got this huge dopamine surge that then also remains after a long, prolonged period of time. So it puts you in a nice state for the rest of the day, which is one of the things. Um, cold shock proteins. So we've got these uh, sort of cold shock proteins that only get activated at extreme temperatures. So you get heat shock proteins when we exercise in sauna, you've got cold shock proteins uh, when we do ice baths. Now these cold shock proteins are really, really interesting because they essentially help the DNA proliferate and differentiate. So replicate and then, uh, you know, specialize um, more efficiently. So they have nucleic binding properties and i'm just putting that out there in case anyone wants to then go and read up into this a bit more so i don't want to just throw words at you guys but they're called nucleic binding properties which essentially help the dna replicate more efficiently so that we don't have mutations in the gene so we don't end up with you know cancer and um you know wrongly sort of uh converted dna if you will so uh -huh. that's really really interesting yeah exactly and then you know you've got the 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 stress component where you're increasing stress resilience because you're essentially raising that threshold for your ability to deal with stress so now all of a sudden that can be there's data to speculate that that that's only one paper so we need to replicate these but to speculate that we can essentially translate that into everyday life so if your stress threshold is here but now you do ice baths or anything that's hormetic so exercise anything that's at extreme extremes you know things like fasting again Discomfort, yeah. for fasting exactly uh hormesis is the 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 concept of putting yourself through stress where your body has to adapt over a prolonged period of time that particular modality would kill you like if you exercise for too long if you stay in a cold water uh, bath for too long if you stay in the heat for too long but in acute um bouts has positive effects on the system because your body has to adapt to that stress. So it has an adaptative process, which means that then it, it's shifted into you being able to cope with stress more easily on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, that for me is the wildest part of ice baths because now you're like uh, translating that into your everyday life. Well, it's just expanding your comfort zone. And I think that'll come back as well to this idea of react, not responding, reacting, because you've already gone through some pretty hard moments in that ice bath for the other day that when somebody has yeah. an argument with you, you're like, eh, it's not. And exactly. I think it just creates that threshold a bit why it just expands that comfort zone and expands that trigger point for you to get really stressed out and to hit that um, change into the sympathetic system. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. Look at so, me talking yeah, to I all you smart them. people. I've got all these big things <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, this has been amazing. I, I love getting to chat to you. I was I was a bit nervous that maybe my second time chatting to someone, I wouldn't have much to talk about. But I feel like I've got so much more I want to talk to you about. But we're gonna we're gonna yeah. pull it here because I want to talk to you again when your book comes out. It doesn't come out till May next year, right, or June? May May in the UK and um, UK comms. So Australia will be in May, and then um, the US in fourth of June. So two weeks or three weeks later. Okay, cool. Well, I'll be um, getting a copy as soon as it comes out. I want to read it as soon as it comes oh, out. I want, I want to give you some feedback. I can't wait. Um, and I'll, yeah, so we'll probably have another chat, I reckon, right around May because I'd love to give the book a bit of a push. Um, and I really want to learn you. about that study that you're talking about with the um, impact of meditation yes. compared to the impact of social media. 
yeah, I'll have an answer with you by then, which is, I'm so excited for that to come out because I think it's going to be, yeah, life-changing for a lot of the people that I speak to on a daily basis as well, like corporates um, who don't quite understand it until I give it to them in scientific terms. And they're like, yeah, okay, I need to yeah. <laughs> be nah, mindful nah. of where I'm putting my energy. Yeah, it's crazy. But no, nah, I'm, I'm, i got to get over to the UK. We should try and do some like talks together. It'd be cool to collaborate on some keynotes. I want to try and start coming around the world. It's... um. Yeah, there's so much, so many interesting people I agent. get to meet. How do you do? Yeah, well, we can talk about this. Yeah. Do you have a speaking agent yeah. for like international gigs? Yeah, so I have an agent. Um, I wonder if it's worth putting you in touch with them. I don't know if they, because they they basically hook me up with uh, with the US, uh, okay. the EU, and the UK. So uh, the US, I mean, I'm not doing any at the moment, but the US is they're predicting it's going to be my biggest market. So yeah, it will be especially yeah. that's a cool. Cool. Yeah. If you can, I mean, we'll chat about that off air after, but um, yeah, yeah. thank you. That's interesting. I, I, Cause I've got an agent in Australia and they don't get me that much work. I get all my own work. It's all direct to me, right. but now I've got such great testimonials and such great feedback from big co- clients from big schools. I reckon yeah. if I had like an international agent, they might be able to find me some stuff, but anyway, talk about that later. But yeah. Or even like a, yeah, I would definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll send you his email. And you cool. can always get in touch because they work with people who've already got an established platform with speaking. So they don't, they don't, they're not interested in creating speakers. They want people that are already good speakers yeah. and then amplify them. So you'd be yeah, perfect. I'll, I'll have a chat to them. And then as well, like, I love that you that you've met Rochelle. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, we, yeah, we were, we just missed each other in London, which is a bit of a shame, uh, but what an amazing soul. Um, but I want to, I really want to come to Australia and, um, and just meet all like you and so many people that I know uh, in Australia now from from you know Instagram and podcast. Have you ever been? Like, you know, Rochelle's one of. The... No, never. Oh my god, you got to get over here. Yeah, I'd love to. So I've got a big US tour next year, and then I really want to take my partner to South Africa because that's where I'm from. Um, oh, but yeah, I love South in the yeah. in due course. We'll get you down to Ibiza yeah. next year, and we'll come party in um, Ibiza yes. with Fisher. Oh my God, let me know because I am actually going to Ibiza next year. I just haven't booked my tickets yet for when I'm going. Well, so if you are going, well, let me okay. know. I've got a wedding in Greece in July. So I'm either going to go the week before or the week after the wedding. So I'll keep you posted. Amazing. Yeah, keep me um, posted. That'll be sick. I normally do finish my podcast with the same question, but you've already answered it. So I'm going to ask you the question that I normally start and I forgot to ask at the start. So what are you grateful for right now in your life? Oh my God. You know, I, so many things. I've been feeling this like, overwhelming bursting energy of gratitude in my life lately like I've been posting about it quite a lot I'm probably annoying all my followers like I get it you're grateful (laughs) just everything like I think you know I'm really grateful for how hard I've worked as well like I'm at a point in my life where I've gone into like a bit of a cocoon everything's slowing down last year was just crazy for me so people see this like massive growth within a year well they don't see as like the 10 years of like grind absolute mm. grafting I put in for this to happen you know I I redid everything I went back to school at the age of 26 I redid my you know I, I redid high school to get into university because my high school grade was so bad at the age of 26 so you know I I, I really worked hard and I was running two businesses at the time as well because you know I was a bit older so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I get to live in Madeira. So Madeira is, um, they call it Europe's Hawaii. You should definitely come and visit when we have our own place. You'll, you'll be welcome to stay at my gaff. Gaff is a house in England. <laughs> um, they have one of the biggest surf competitions in Madeira. So I was at Madeira is in Spain, like yeah? Portugal. 
Portugal. It's just off Portugal. Yeah. Uh, like, honestly, I think it was like 10 to 15 foot swell. I was like, I'll send you some videos. You're going to be like, wow. Nice. Um, so I'm grateful that I get to live here. So my partner's from, he's Madeira in English um, and we get to live here, which completely changed my life because I've got two working dogs and I think living in the UK with the mud was just too much for me. I was like losing my mind. <laughs> uh, better yeah, weather, just, I'm grateful that yeah. yeah grateful for my editor like she found me and it was like a match made in heaven um my agent she's amazing I'm just so grateful I'm grateful that I get to write this book and that you know some people have engaged with it as well and it's just it's nice to have like I think I found my calling with book writing I'm really enjoying the process so amazing I, I can't wait to read it you got to send me a copy right when it comes out I'll give you I will give, I'll give you some feedback I, I I'm so excited I'm a big self-development book guy so you'll be right yeah. a lot of a lot of my previous guests and friends are writing books at the moment I love it I, I've got so many yeah. books to read amazing okay well I'd love your input because you've read so many and yeah I'd love to hear yeah. you know can't wait can't it. wait well, I'm not going to leave you for any longer. We're going to have a quick chat off air anyway. So thank you so much for jumping on. It's been thank amazing. You. I'll, leave all, I'll leave all your stuff in the show notes. Um, yeah, and if you have listened to this episode and you haven't listened to the previous one and you want to learn more about Nicole's story, make sure you go back to episode 44 um, and have a listen because you'll learn about Nicole's story, how she got to where she is now, and, yeah, learn some more cool neuroscience stuff. So thank you so much for jumping on once again. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been great. And I don't always do follow-ups. I've done a couple, but this has been amazing. So thank you so much. No, it's been amazing just to catch up. You're a legend. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 